Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Everybody doing good? I want to just say before we get started, welcome to our Tempe campus. We love you guys, those of you watching online. Uh, for those of you here in the room, if you did not grab a piece of paper, our host team would like to put this in your hands. For those of you watching online, just grab a scratch, a, some piece of paper somewhere, have it near you. You're going to need this in the message because we're going to do something in the middle. And if you don't have a piece of paper, you're going to feel really weird. Uh, we're going to make flying air, we're going to make airplanes out of paper or see who throw it the furthest. I'm just kidding. We're doing an exercise in the middle that you'll need to have a piece of paper to put a graph on. So just, um, just make sure you raise your hand. The host will be more than glad to take care of you right there. Just glad you're here today. How many of you enjoyed last Sunday, Father's Day? Pastor Shannon, didn't you do a great job talking about overflow? Man, what a message. Then he decided to flood the stage. It was really cool, and uh, now we have a weak spot up here. I'm just kidding. But if you noticed in his message, he took a moment and talked about cars. In particular, a car that I've always wanted, that's a 1970 Chevelle. I actually long for that car, uh, maybe not to the position of coveting, but close. And uh, so he got me thinking about cars, and it was Father's Day. And so what happened is we went home, and I grabbed my son. I said, son, just, let's just get my car out. And for those of you that I want to invite you into my story, I'm a car guy. I, I love cars. Since the time I was a little boy, I've just dreamed of cars, drew pictures of cars. And now I've got a little two-seater sports car that I love. And I said, son, let's just go for a run. And so I jumped in the car with him, and uh, we headed out the 101. And most of you know, you know when you jump on the 17 on the 101, how the traffic gets kind of crazy right there? I was maybe doing a little bit more uh, than the speed limit. My wife actually says, if I miss heaven, it will be because of my driving. I love you, babe. It's okay. But it may be true. And so what happened is I knew I had to get on the 17, because if not, you got to go all the way down and come back. And so I really hit it hard, and I jumped in front of a guy. And uh, he did not like it at all. And so as we're getting on that 17, uh, that exit going on to 17, he gets right all over my bumper. And I thought, well, the best thing to do is just, just speed up even faster than get away from him. And the faster I went, the faster he got just right on my bumper, just staying there. I looked at my son. He said, what are you doing, dad? I said, well, we want to go for a ride. And he said, this fast? And I said, well, um, there's somebody on our bumper. And he, he turns around and says, oh, dad, this guy's mad. And so I saw Deer Valley Road, you know, that next exit right there. And I said, let's just get off of Deer Valley. And so I'm going as fast as I can. And I mean, just hit it real hard to get in the exit lane. And guess what? He did the same thing. And right there at Deer Valley in 17, there's a couple uh, fast food restaurants. And I said, let's just jump in one of those. And so I hit around the corner real hard thinking he's going to miss me. Or maybe he's just getting off to get gas. Please, God, let him get gas. And so I jumped in the parking lot of this fa first fast food restaurant hit the first spot I could find, and I said, come on, son, quick, let's just go inside, and, and about the time I turn around and look, and sure enough, guess who pulls in behind us? Yep. So we walk through the door, get in as quick as we can, and about that time I look, and he's coming through the door. Now, my question to you is, what are you wanting to happen? What are you wanting to happen? <laughs> I'm telling the story, and I, he don't want to answer that one. Uh, what do you want to happen? 
A fight, okay. <laughs> Guess what? I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Gateway, and I've already lost credibility with about half the crowd right now. He speeds, uh, he has no control on the road, and he ticks people off. Buy him a cold drink. Well, that is so kind of you. I did not do that. <laughs> In fact, everything I just told you, I made it up. Now, there are some parts of that story that are true. There is a 101. There is a 17. I do own a sports car. And sometimes I drive too fast. And see, story is so important in our lives because whatever story we adhere to, whatever story we buy into, we follow that story. Some of you are already creating like, I can't believe he's like that. I thought he was a nice guy, but listen to him talk. So today's message is, which story, whose voice? Inside of every one of us, inside of us, are two components that shape where we are now and where we're going. The first is story. That story is the narrative that we're choosing to live in. What is the story that has been in my history that I still allow it to dictate my present and has actually got to focus on my future. The second is voice. And that's that inner voice that attempts to steer us on the path of life that we're on. We're all drawn into story. In fact, it's so easy sometimes to be drawn into a story and get stuck in story. Someone once said, God created man because he loves stories. And if we're going to find the answer to the riddle of the earth and also to find the riddle to our existence, we need to ask ourselves, which story and whose voice am I going to listen to? The challenge is what we believe to be true, what we believe to be true has an impact on us. Which story? What makes a really good story? And I thought about that. Thank you, sir. It's exactly right. Just finish your story. I'm not telling this one. What makes it, and I hope I was a fairly good storyteller. Uh, when I did this on Thursday night, my wife says, I wondered, what on earth are you talking about? Sometimes a good storyteller goes a long way. The other thing about a good story is um, the conflict, the potential conflict, the fight. You know, because you don't, you don't want to just say, oh, that's just cute. He's driving his car. No, he's going to get into a fight. Uh, it, and then there's something about a story that we want to know, how does this resolve? How does this, does this ever end? Because what we believe to be true, let me say it again, what we believe to be true has an impact on the way we live our lives. Our lives are filled with many stories. Success, failure. Mountains climbed to victory and also descents made into valleys that have been overwhelming. We have stories in our lives that we created. But we also have stories in our lives that are out of our control. Parts of that story, we had no control over it. And purpose and meaning of life flows out of the story that I decide to embrace. For example, why am I here? Why was I born male? Why are the two people that I called parents, why, did, why were they my parents? Why here? Why now? What next? We live in this juxtaposition between story and voice. 
See, you have to assess, where am I now? Where am I now in my story to determine where I'm going to go? Adam knew his place in the Genesis story. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. Adam knew. Adam, this is your story, Adam. This is what you do. You're going to go into the garden. You're going to tend it. You're going to watch over it. He had a good feeling about, this is my story, and it's the voice of God telling him, and so he follows through with the story. Here at Gateway, we have six pillars that becomes the foundation of living an integrated life. And one of them is, is professional. Adam knew his professional life because the voice of God told him, and then he began to step into what it was going to be. But an unhealthy version of our professional life is that we become human doers instead of human beings. I was at our community pool recently, and, and um, there was a guy there, and all of a sudden, he just... I just, you know, I'm not going to sit there at the pool. I'm going to open up a conversation. And I know what's going to happen in the first five minutes. It's going to be a question. What do you do for a living? Why is it? Because many of us in an unhealthy side of us find our story in what we do or in what we've not done. Many times our stories are linked to areas of our lives that we've actually tried to forget, but they keep coming back. As a child, one of the greatest stories that you probably heard as a child began with these words, once upon a time. Once upon a time. See, the words once upon a time fill folklore from China to Peru, from India to Indiana, and I love folktales because they get right down to business. Once upon a time, a poor merchant jumped on a ship. Once upon a time, an old king had two sons. I mean, it just goes right at it and just jumps right in the story. But it's, it's like the, the story is stuck in the once upon a time. Forget about it on a time, but what about the once? Once? Once that one moment is defining the entire story, that once is going to be the thing that I live by the rest of my life, a poor merchant goes on a ship. A king has two sons. Why is it that we give so much credence to the once upon a time in our lives? How are narratives and stories formed in our lives? How did that once upon a time begin? Abuse, a divorce, a business failure, a betrayal of someone that you really loved or cared about. And when that story begins, it's so real. Remember what you believe to be true. Your perception has an impact on you. Because our perception is the key to our behavior our motivation, our attitude, and the way we look at life. We live out of story. How many characters in the Bible can you think of that had a story change? In fact, they didn't just have a story change. Many of them had a name change. Their story was real, whether it was positive or negative. It was real. But they had to negotiate, how do I allow this story not to dictate what my life was intended to be? And that's kind of where we're going to go today is where are you in your story and where are you now 
And where are you going to allow it to take you? Because which story? Whose voice? My story and your story, it is a list. It is a list of propositions and possibilities that have been in my life all since I can remember. And we have those things, but what the challenge is, those things are not the things that we look at. It's the scenes, it's those dramatic moments that we play over and over. Those, the potentials of life, we forget about those, but it's those dramatic scenes that keep playing over and over and over. Again, some parts of our story are out of our control. Let's look at one. In the book of Exodus chapter 2, the second book of the Bible, I love this story because it's so simple, but yet it, it just proves that many times parts of our story, we didn't ask for that to happen like that. You, don't, you didn't ask for that moment to wake up one morning and she looks at you and says, I have no idea why I ever married you. Or that son or daughter that you poured your life into and they look at you and say, I hate you. There's parts of our story, and watch this one in Exodus chapter 2. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. Let me just interject something here. There's something you cannot miss. In the Nile River is an animal called the Nile crocodile, which is one of the most aggressive killer beasts in the Nile. Notice the sister stands at a distance and now when the princess is coming to get a bath, what does she do? She sends her attendants along the riverbank before she goes down there. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Moses' life is threatened because of an edict of a jealous ruler. Did he have control over that? This jealous, angry ruler has a daughter who finds this baby in the Nile River. Does he have control over that? Did you notice in the story that the mother never names her son? It says the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, named him Moses. And his name stayed with him all of his life, not from his mother. Moses was raised among the, the Hebrew people, which were being despised. And all of a sudden he goes from nothingness to living in opulence of living in the palace he didn't ask to be born then he didn't want pharaoh to hate baby males that are jewish does an evil tyrant a sympathetic royal daughter does a strange twist in the lifestyle from a death sentence as a baby just because you're male just because you're jewish 
does this steal Moses' story of being the deliverer of Israel? No. It was a part of his story. But he rose above the narrative. Let me give you another one. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, right before the book of Exodus, that very first book, if you'll look there in chapter 37, 37 makes it very clear that this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Okay, he was a snitch. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Did Joseph have control over his story, parts of it? Favorite son to hated brother? Pit, he's thrown to a pit by his own brothers and then they say, let's just leave him. And they said, you know what, forget leaving him. Let's sell him. He goes from the pit and he winds up eventually in the palace. From the palace, his story takes him because he becomes falsely accused of a, of a sexual advance that he didn't even do. And he goes from a palace to the prisoner. And then from his place in prison, he winds up becoming the prince of Egypt, which he then sold the movie rights to, to DreamWorks in 1998 and made $219 million. Good move, Moses. You talk about messed up. You talk about a story that there's so many pieces and so many voices. Your brothers hate you. Your dad loves you more than all the brothers. Your dad gives you a custom coat, and he makes it look as if you're the most favorite of all of them. Did he ask for that? Eugene Peterson said, we live in narrative. We live in story. Our existence has a story shape to it. Our existence, what we're doing right now with our life, has a story shape to it. We have a beginning, and there's going to be an end, but all the plot and all the characters are what's taking place from now until we step into our destiny. See, it's not just what happened to us. It's what do I do with what did happen to me. The narrative of our life has weight. The narrative of your life has weight. The narrative of Joseph, of Moses. But there's a challenge to understanding the why behind it. Why did I wind up in this story? To help us with that, there's a word called meta-narrative. I've been talking about story and narrative. But there's another word called meta-narrative, and this is how story plays into where we are now. And by which story I choose determines the end result. Meta-narrative means it's an overarching account or interpretation of events and circumstances that provides a pattern or structure for people's beliefs and gives meaning to their experiences. It's so easy to fall back. I, that's, that's the reason I failed again because of when I did that. Or the reason this relationship is going to go bad because I couldn't keep the first five. Or I'm never going to get out of debt because every time I... And we always have this, we have narratives, but we've got this meta-narrative, this massive experiences and overarching accounts that just get played over 
and over and over. To where we've become stuck in our story. But where is the truth of the God that we're talking about and we sang about this morning? As we were singing that song, it's his nature. That song set this message up to no end. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He has a new story. The old story, the old narrative has passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your paper, if you would. If you're at home, uh, just grab that piece of paper. And we're going to do something. It's called a life map. A life map. And I want you to consider five categories of your life. And those five are this. Ancestry. That's your family, your relationships, and your friends. Culture. Socioeconomics. Education or lack of education. Third is spiritual. How were you raised? And, and how did... God, the Bible, Christ fit into your life. Was it religious or was it relational or was it totally non-existent as your, your early story was beginning? And then number four is transformational moments. What have been those moments in your life that have been just totally transformational? And you constantly, they come back into your mind, your thoughts and the way you live. It could be divorce. It could be a death. It could be decisions that went great or decisions that were horrible. It might have been that first child. It might have been marriage. What was it? And then fifth is, are there consistent and reoccurring themes in your life? Loss, gain, devastation, discovery, compassion, purpose-driven. Of these five, here, here's what I want you to do. They're going to pop it up here on the screen. Here's what a life map looks like. So here is when you were born. It's the neutral zone right here. This is X marks the spot. And this is on the far left of your paper. And for the next two minutes, I'm just going to, have, I'm going to be silent. I'm not going to talk. I want you, if you would, if you have a very powerful experience that you still think back to, it's going to go up. And as high as it was, make that on your life map that high. And then for the things that were devastating, like down there, dad died. Make that as low as it was. So I want you to look at three to five stories in your life that are still defining or still very fresh in your mind. Some of the things happened even when you were under the age of eight. Maybe even five. Let's take the next two minutes. On the left, birth is neutral. And then three to five events that have created the story in your life. Those of you watching online, take a moment. You can do the same thing with us.
Thank you for doing that. For some of you, that was difficult. There were difficult moments that you had to go back and they're real. There were some big moments that have been sustaining in your life. Thursday night, a man showed me his, and it was like amazing. I could not believe this graph that went like this. But there's three things I want to ask you to do looking at that. First is identify. What was significant about that event? Why is it still there? Why is it still screaming? Second, analyze. Why was this significant? First is what? What was it that caused us to come back? And now the why. And then third is gain. How will this become useful? How can I take something? As we've read biblical characters that took their story and flipped the switch. See, the big question is this. Which story are you choosing to live in? Which narrative is defining you as a person? Dr. Dan Baker wrote a book called What Happy People Know, and he said the stories we tell ourselves about our own lives eventually become our lives. The choice is ours. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, the conflict is real. And by no means am I trying to invalidate anything that anyone in this room has gone through. You may not have been able to control the episodes. But you can control the narrative that comes from it. Those of you that with abuse, having walked through that with one of our daughters, someone abusing her. Where's that story? What's the narrative that comes out of it? See, what I believe to be true about an experience and how I process it becomes my perception. For example, if a child says, runs into your room screaming, crying, or even lays in their bed and just yells out, I'm scared. And you say, what are you scared of? I'm scared of the dark. What is the average answer that a typical parent is going to say? There's nothing to be afraid of. But to that child, it is as real as can be. Mommy, there's a monster under the bed. To that child, it's real. Remember, what I believe to be true of an experience in an episode and how I process it becomes my perception. There's two elements to perception. One is the perception is the key to attitudes. The way I look at that, I I then develop attitudes, behaviors, and motivation. When something happens in my life, I, I am pulling from that. The second piece of perception is perception is always a product of process. Is that when something happens in my, in my story, that experience, I'm either going to pull fact or feelings, I'm going to pull a false reality or, a, or some type of an environment that I'm going to begin to become the process into my perception. The narrative of our life 
is proportionate to the stories we choose and how we interpret it. Now let's throw another biblical truth into that, right? What I just said. That the narrative of our life is proportionate to the stories we choose and how we interpret their reality. In Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a confidence in what I'm hoping. My story, I've been believing this, but all of a sudden faith jumps in and says, wait a minute, I have a confidence of something, an assurance about something that I haven't yet seen yet. Faith is the ability to step into the unseen world and believe that what you've lived through and what you've been living out, you don't have to live there anymore. You can step into an assurance and a confidence by faith. We must never allow the unseen to become irrelevant in our lives. Dallas Willard said in The Divine Conspiracy, he said, the most important things in our lives are nearly always the things that are invisible. But many times the history, the story, the narrative we've allowed to tell us, this is who I am, this is the way I'm going to be. But faith says no. I have an assurance that there's a God who's pursuing me and loves me and cares about my life. That though that happened to me, he's going to redeem that. Have you ever allowed your story to steal your faith? Which story? Which voice? In voice, let me ask you this. Who's the narrator speaking into your life? Which narrative are you believing and whose voice are you taking cues from? There's a story I want to just jump quickly into John 5. You've heard it before, but I want us to look at it from the perspective of there were some things that were out of the story that was out of his control and some things he had control. Watch this. John 5 verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Did you hear the voices that this man has been listening to for 38 years? When asked, do you want to be made well? You would think the automatic answer would be, of course I do. But what was his voice? He starts making excuses of why He couldn't get to the pool. 38 years I've lived like this, and his story was, the voice was, I'm a cripple, I'm a victim, I don't have anyone, and I'm watching everyone step in and get theirs, and I'm still laying here, and I'm not getting mine. It's familiar. My story, my voice is, this is who I am, this is the way it's going to be, and I guess I'll stay here. Why would any person, any person, especially a sick person for so many years, continue to stay there. You would think after 38 years of nothing happening to someone who feels like a nobody, he would be willing to do something about it. 
Here's the crux of this message. Why do we continue to lay in our, you fill in the blank, five-year, 15-year, 20-year, 38-year story? Our stories bring out two sides of us because if we don't face the story, then we start putting on a facade and living a certain way. The first is, if when we embrace story and realize I had no control over it, or parts of it I did not have control over, or yes, I did that, and I own up to it, there's a true self that comes from it. There's two people that come out of my life and story and comes out of your life. One is true self. The true self is that person that becomes, I, I, I've messed up, and I want to be aligned with God. I want to find his purpose. I want his kingdom to come in me. I want it to be in me and work through me. I want wholeness. I want intimacy. I want relational integrity. I want to be a courageous individual that's aligned with Christ. That's the true self. But I have to face the story in my life to get there. But there's a false self that when we have a story in our lives, many times we want this false self to act like it's not there because the false self is this. The false self is an artificial facade that we create in our story to protect ourselves from experiencing the trauma, the shock, and the shame that we've had to deal with in our past. And so we just live like this. That's why you don't hear us talking about a gospel of get better. You hear us talk about a gospel of reconciling you to Christ. Transforming your story. God's always had a voice. God has always had a voice. Think with me, Adam. Eve, Moses, Ezekiel, Noah, Job, Jacob, David, Solomon, Elijah, Isaiah, Jonah, Hosea, Zechariah, and me, Phil. You. God's heart is to step into our narrative. It's his nature. Sing out, O oh barren woman. Sing out, O oh broken man. It's his nature. He wants to draw you out of the story that's been wrecking you, and he wants to reconcile you unto him. But many times we feel so bad that God could never take me. God could never love me. God could never use me. The opposite of being bad is not being good. The opposite of being bad is to be loved. And some of you in your story, when you wrote that moment, you were like, that's why God can't love me. And he's saying, no, that's why I want to love you is because I don't want to make you good. I want to let you feel loved. Every human story has three central needs. To love, to be loved, and to move closer to the source of love. God himself. First John says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face with confidence. We can face him with our story. I can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid... It is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced 
his perfect love. There's voices in your life. There's voices in my life. But back several years ago, a passage came to me, and I'd read it before, but it never hit me like it did. It's it's Zephaniah 3.17. And it says, for the Lord your God is living among you. Even in my story, he's a mighty savior. He will take delight in you, no matter what my story is, with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. What is this song that God's singing over you? As you wrote those low moments in your life, can you see God just singing over you? That's my child. I love you. I've always been with you. What is God singing over you right now? Sitting on your couch, what is the song that God is singing over your life? At Berea College in Kentucky, I visited there several years ago with my aunt and uncle, and gracing one of the room, one of the buildings there is um, a symbol. It looks like this. It's called the Sankafa. If you'll notice, it's a bird that the feet are facing forward, but the head is turned back, and inside of his mouth is an egg. It comes from Ghana, West Africa, and it's depicted as a bird with his head turned backward, taking an egg from its back. It expresses the importance of reaching back to knowledge gained in the past and bringing it into the present in order to make a positive progress. The egg symbolizes the future of a potential, of a hope. Whatever you've lost, whatever has been forgotten, or you feel like you've been forgotten, or foregone, or even been stripped of, it can be redeemed, received, preserved, and perpetuated. You can pull from the past in the midst of the pain, and by faith, see what God says about you. You're a royal priest. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God in the midst of your story, for he called you out of your story into his wonderful light. I close with this. Romans 8, 28 says, For we know, For we know, we know that God causes everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Stories can become ruts. You know what a rut is when you drive a car over soft mud you just start forming a track and then you just go over it again and the more you drive on that the deeper it goes and the ruts just get deeper it's fall time in Alaska and I heard about a sign in Alaska that says this choose your ruts well for you'll be in it the next 60 miles 
ruts get so deep, you just take your hands off the steering wheel, and it's going to tell you this is where you're going. And that's what your story wants to do. Take your hands off. There's no hope. You're stuck. But what if his story could cover your history? What if the story of a redeeming, loving God could cover all of your history? We call that repentance. If you've never been baptized, you know what could happen? Baptism is a watery grave. It says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also can live in a new story, a redeemed story, because I buried all of my old stories. Remember, what you believe, it is perception. And it may not even be reality. It's your perception, but could God take and redeem that? Yes. And one last time, I'd like, if you would, just to take that life map that you worked on in the middle of the message. And I want you just to take it and look at it. And in your own words, I'd like for you just to quote Romans 8, 28. God, I know that all of this is working together for the good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. If you would, just take a moment, look at that map, and in your own words, declare that over your ask you to stand with me. Our altar team is coming. An altar is made to where you bring something and you let it die. It's also a place of life, but it's a place to bring things and let them die. And my friends are up here and they would love to just Take some time with you today if you said, man, I'm so stuck in story and I don't even know if I can get out of it. They will help you to walk in to God's story over your story. If you've never been baptized and you feel like, well, I can't because you don't know what I've done, that is immaterial because it's not about what you've done, it's about what he did. You can take your story, and that's why I love it, call it a watery grave. You can take all of your stories, all of your life, and bury it and arise to walk in a newness of life. I'm going to pray over you and then we're going to do something. We're going to 
For those of you that need to take a moment to just take your story and bring it to the altar and see, I'm tired of this telling me who I am. I'm going to ask you to bring it to the altar and leave it. For those of you that say, you know what, that baptism thing is, I do want to bury all of my past. One of my friends up here would be more than glad to lead you in the next steps of what it means for baptism we have coming up in about two weeks. Let me pray of you. Father, I'm glad that there is a story of redemption, a story of love. A story of care, a story of beyond imagination of what you can do in our lives. For that, I'm so thankful. And I pray for anyone this morning that is caught, stuck, and feels like they can't get out of this story. Redeem them. That's why you went to a cross. That's why you gave your life. That we could be finding that there's a new story that could be found in us. And Father, I just speak it now in the name above every name. Jesus, our Savior, the lover of my soul, the rewriter of my story, And I thank you, Father, that this week, when that story starts to come up, may the reminder come back, which story, whose voice am I going to listen to? And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.